When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In this episode of the 80s Glam Metal Cast, we talk to a guitar legend from the bands Europe and Easy Action, Key Marcello. He has a lot going on this year. We talk about all of it, and we hear some classic Europe stories. Check it out. Key, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing, man? Doing great. Great. Thanks for having me. It's great to hear. I mean, it's an afternoon. Uh, it's the beginning of January in Sweden, so the weather is great. But, hey, what can you do? <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you have planned for uh, 2020? It's a lot of stuff, actually. First of all, I'm, I'm, right now, I'm writing for a new solo album, a new KMSL album. Uh, I've been writing for uh, uh, a new album for Key of Hearts. It's a project I have together with, with Tommy Hart, the singer from uh, Fair Warning. Uh, we're going to eventually change that name for a couple of reasons, which I won't get into right here. But so that's going that's going to happen too this year. We're going to tour in September. I'm touring with my. I'm doing a solo tour in March, and uh, also I'm writing songs for a new Easy Action album with the reunion of the band uh, at Sweden Rock Festival uh, last summer, which was really great. So we're working on a new album. Wow, so you have a lot going on right now. Yeah, I got a bunch of stuff going on, which is great, you know. Uh, also, I have a show called Rock Tonight, which is sort of a spin-off of Rock of Ages, which I was in. The Swedish uh, uh, production of Rock of Ages in Stockholm, they wrote me a part of my own. I was actually acting as myself in the show which was great fun. We did that for many seasons. And after that, I, I put together a show with some of the famous actors from there and great musicians and, and did the whole thing without the Broadway elements, if you forget me. So it's just more like of a musical show. You know, we did a lot of that. A little bit like that Vegas show, you know, uh, Raid in the Rock Vault. Mm-hmm. You ever heard yes. about that? Yep. So, uh, so we did a lot of those gigs last year with uh, Mickey D, the drummer from Motorhead and Scorpions, and uh, uh, Eric from Heat, the lead singer from Eric uh, Gunnvald from Heat, the singer, and uh, various artists. It's a lot of fun. So how does the new stuff you're writing for your solo album compare to your last album that you did, uh, Scaling Up? I think it's pretty much in the same vein, but as all albums live their own lives, it's I, I just noticed it's a bit less keyboardy and maybe more guitar based this time. I'm sure if eventually the keyboard songs are gonna pop up as well, but right now it's very riffy and it's a bit heavier and uh yeah, that's the feeling I have right now. It could change a bit, you know while you're writing along the way. 
Yeah, I actually, I really like that album, and I like the song a lot, uh, Don't Miss You Much. That really reminds me of, right. of something that could have been on uh, Prisoners in Paradise by Europe. I really like that song. Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah, that was fun. It, it was actually, uh, I love that era with Europe, the Prisoners in Paradise, where we really flirted with AOR, you know, like in the, we become a, a bit Americanized, I would say. So, uh, yeah, I like that that traditional songwriting a lot. So, um, I talked with your past bandmate, uh, Zinni Zan, uh, yesterday, actually. And so it sounds like you're going to be doing another album with him then, correct? With Zinni? Yes. For the easy action, will he be on there? Uh, no. Oh, sorry. Well, Zinni, what's an easy action? Uh, um... The first rendition of Easy Action, if you wish, what we did last summer was Easy Action with Tommy Nilsson. Oh, we did okay. an album called That Makes One, which is a different project, really. It's it's much more AOR in a way, you know? Uh, so that's a di different project altogether. What happened after the first Easy Action album, uh, uh, we went separate ways, and he moved to L.A. and, uh, well, eventually formed... Uh, Shotgun Messiah, and and all that. So, uh, and I joined Europe. So, what we're doing a new album with? That's with Tom and Nilsson on lead vocals. But we also did a reunion with the uh, Action with Zinnasan in it in two thousand and six, I believe. We talked a little bit about the whole uh, poison thing uh, with I Want Action versus We Go Rocking. Who wrote We Go Rocking? Yeah, I wrote that. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think I wrote the music, and me, Zinni, and Alex uh, did the, the words together. But that was so funny, man. You know, I don't know if I told if if you know that, but we were rehearsing with Europe and San Francisco, and uh, I was just crossing uh, the the bridge. I turn on the turn. I turn on the radio, and I hear my own song with a different with different words on it. it was really weird. It was almost like being in a science fiction movie. <laughs> you know, you you know you know when you wrote a song, it's part of you, and then somebody changed the words. It was really weird. And I asked somebody, "Who the hell is this?" And they said, "That's Poison." So uh, I called my manager, but he wasn't really interested in that thing at all you know because he wasn't involved he didn't have the publishing or anything like that but eventually what happened was Warner Chapel sued their publisher yeah that had to be crazy because uh, it, I mean it's spot on the melody is just spot on oh yeah and I remember a famous DJ in Stockholm he actually did a really cool thing he started off with the I Want Action and then he played the a chorus on by one action then play Wiggle Rocking and then in the end he played both of the songs simultaneously in the left speaker you had Poison and in the right one you had Easy Action and that's when you really could hear how similar it is <laughs> <laughs> man it's funny so 
1986, uh, you get into Europe. Did you have to try out, or did they just call you because they, they needed a guitarist? How did that all play out? No, I didn't have to audition or anything like that. I, I mean, kind of think of it, you know, when you think about it, it was, it was not a huge rock scene back then. I mean, all the bands in Stockholm, you know, Easy Action, Europe, Treat, 220 Volts, uh, I'm forgetting half of them, but we pretty much knew each other because we would hang out, you know, on clubs and all that. So, uh, and also one of the reasons I think uh, uh, I didn't have to audition was we worked a lot actually together. I did a song, uh, I did a production for a charity project called Swedish Metal 8. And Joey wrote that song. So me and Joey was in the studio working together, and and he heard my producing and my guitar playing and everything. So he knew already. What was the problem with with John Norum at that point? Was he unhappy with the direction of the band, or I mean, because I feel like he left at like a really bad time. I mean, they, I mean, they got huge right after he left. Yeah, I I, I think he actually. I'm not quite sure. You should ask them. But I think he got the sack. Okay. Because it was really difficult to deal with. And, you know, when they were on tour, it didn't work out so well. So that's what I heard, that he got the sack. And uh, and then they called me. And I, I, you know, it was very fairly easy. I just, we just went into the rehearsals and started rehearsing straight away. How long did it take you to learn all the uh, songs for, like, the live show? Uh, actually, I knew them before we started to rehearse. I, I made sure I, I knew all the lakes and everything. Okay. But then we, I mean, we were, this is October 1986. We were rehearsing for the upcoming Final Countdown World Tour, which which kicked off in January. And uh, so we rehearsed most of that time from October until January. So I had lots, lots of uh, hours to, to learn my parts and everything, you know, which was great. The, the only gigs we did were promotion journeys and, and, and things of that sort, you know. So we never did play anything live during the fall of 86. It started off in January 87. Did you find it kind of weird, like when you had to do like a a live, like a performance where you just played to the music, or if you did a music video, was it weird playing somebody else's licks, or didn't you care? I mean, it was it was a bit weird to be frank. Definitely, you're talking about Rock the Night and Carrie and all that. Yeah, that was it's really weird, you know, playing like air guitar to somebody else's music, but. I discussed it with the guys, and they really wanted me to to do that. So, what the hell, you know? Yeah, definitely. it has to be done. Yeah. Great videos, you know. You were in some awesome, iconic videos, so that must be awesome. Yeah, yeah, we had fun, especially the one we did in, in, in Cherokee, the one we did in, in the desert. It's it's shot in Almeria, which is in Andalusia in uh, Spain. It's the only desert we have in the, the continent of Europe. And that's what they shoot with Sergio Leone. did all his spaghetti western movies there. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a really cool area. 
1988, uh, you guys do Out of This World. That must have been nice this time because you're involved with the writing process and the recording. It was probably a lot better right? yeah. at that point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. And, and also we, we had a chance to work with uh, Ron Navison, which, of course, everybody knew he was a really famous a successful producer, and he worked with a lot of people we love. So that was a great setting, you know. In, in uh, we were in London, uh, in the great Olympic Studios. Really cool. I mean, during the same period, it was Freddie Mercury was shooting. He, he was recording his uh, solo album uh, simultaneously with us, and also. Uh, uh, Brian Adams was there, and uh, uh, Boy George. Wow! <laughs> you know, one of those studios where they have like five, six studio rooms. You know, you know, Studio A, Studio B, Studio C. So it's a lot of people could room in the same studio. Did you ever get to say hi to Freddie Mercury? <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, cool. Uh, the, the thing is, me and I was helping Ian Halvan with the drums, and we forgot to uh, close the door into the recording studio. So uh, while he was trying out his snare drum, all of a sudden Freddie Mercury was standing in the doorway, and we, and he <laughs> and he said, "You must be kidding!" And we turned around, and he he was over there, you know, just staring at us, uh-huh. giving us a good old stare. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I, I met Freddie Mercury. That was pretty much all he said, though. You must be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> were you were you a Queen fan? Oh, well, yeah, we, yeah, totally. And Ian too. So we go, oh, Mr. Mercury, it's so nice to see you. And he goes, hey, hey, hey. You must be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's well, that's something you'll never forget, right? Exactly. That's a good memory. So one thing I noticed that uh, on a lot of the Europe albums, there's songs that are solely written by Joey Tempest, quite a bit. How would that work? Would he yeah. come? Would he come in with like finished music? How did that all work with him? Does he write all the all the music entirely, or how did that work? Yeah, I mean, he he really liked to be in charge of the writing process, uh, which changed a bit when I joined the band. I, I, I'm a songwriter as well but I mean what the other guys told me what normally happened he came with a bunch of demos you know mm-hmm. that he recorded on his home studio and then they just rehearsed it that changed a bit because Mik- Michaeli also got into songwriting so it was a bit more divided on the on the two albums I, I'm on but he really he really didn't want to have too many co-writes with other people. He liked to do the majority by himself, hmm. you know? Interesting. Now, in my opinion, I think Out of This World is a better album than The Final Countdown. I think The Final Countdown has really strong singles, but I'd say as an overall album, I personally like Out of This World better. Uh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Me, me too. For some reason, we got to have all the parts together on that one. It's really cool, and also Ron Nevis is producing. But, but I, you know, I wrote, I wrote like eight songs for that album, and I only got two on the three on there, something like that. You know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
uh, it was a lot of competition. Uh, and also, Joey being the, the sole writer of the final countdown, he wanted to have most of his songs on the album, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. The arrangements on that album are awesome. You know, the, the you know, be, between keyboards and guitars, the sound, the arrangements and therefore it all is really happening, I think. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. And I think the band is really maturing at this point. You know, songs like Sign yeah. of the Times, even like Tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow is one of those songs where like, you know, maybe it doesn't hit you the first time you hear it. But years later, you know, you, you keep listening to this album. You're like, that's an amazing song. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned Sign of the Times. That's a really cool song. It's yeah. Very melodic, yeah. And it's funny because awesome. I sent that uh, I sent that out on Twitter. What I'll do on my Twitter page is I'll sometimes say, uh, you know, what's better, you know, Final Countdown or Out of This World? And I'll put both album covers on the, the tweet and I'll send it out. And yeah. I figured it was going to be, you know, Final Countdown all the way. And I got to say, it was it was either dead even or maybe even more. Uh, in favor of Out of This World. So people love Out of This World. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> awesome. That's and I'm not great. saying this just because I'm talking to you, but I'm, I'm just being honest, is that I prefer the guitar playing uh, on that album as well. I, I think the tone of your guitar on that album is killer. And oh, thanks. I just think it's a little bit more, you're very a very melodic player, and I just like those soaring leads. They're very memorable, so... Great job, Keith. <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot. Yeah, I like it also. I think what we what we found on that album, which is really cool, and we continued on the on the album after that, is to have that dialogue between the vocals and the guitar, where they're they're both just as melodic, you know. So once you you have the chorus, the melody of the and the punchline of the, the actual song, then the guitar solo comes up, and it's almost a different theme, like a song within the song. For instance, on songs like uh, Superstitious and Let the Good Times Rock and, and, and also Sign of the Times, they, have, they all three have that thematic melodic solo. Did you get that from uh, Brian May? I mean, are you a Brian May fan? Oh yeah, I, I love Brian May. I, I think, uh, yeah, definitely. But I, I, I think I, I would say I got it from classical music sure. because that's how classical music works. You know, the, where you have a main theme and you have a variation of the main theme. I was thinking along those lines. But man, Brian May is awesome. <laughs> and when I actually when I built the amp that I'm using on uh, Out of This World, I had Brian May in mind. Of course it tur turned out completely different, but I, I was really impressed about his uh, his MIDI kind of sound, you know, the solo sound he has on all those Queen albums. So that's why I built a mid-boost in my, super, my Marshall Super Lead, you know. You probably have some of the same heroes as uh, Ronnie Laticro. And I talked to him before, and it's funny, he mentioned the same thing. When he does a solo, sometimes the whole song changes. It's still melodic, but it, but it's like a song within a song, and then somehow it morphs back to the you know to the original song. And he mentioned that he gets a lot of his ideas from Big Band. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought that That's was cool. pretty wild, yeah. 
Yeah, I know Ronnie. He's great. He's a really cool guy. He's yeah. Norwegian, you know. Uh, yeah, I went to the last time we toured Norway with uh, with my band. We passed by his studio for a cup of coffee. He lives not too far away from Oslo. Yeah, definitely a cool guy. He was he was fun to chat with. So let's uh, yeah. let's bounce over to the Prisoners in Paradise album, which I, I love this album. I probably would put it in my you know scale of Europe albums. I put it as number two. Um, so you guys, awesome. you guys had this album done initially, right? And then it went to the label, and what was the problem? They they wanted some different songs on there, or what happened? Yeah, it was really spooky, actually. I mean, we we had no idea how the, the that the label were going to react this way. We worked on the album, and it was awesome. We would we were working with Bo Hill. Another thing that you might not know is that we actually had Bob Rock producing the album and uh Herbie Herbert the manager of Europe you know the the journey guy yeah he he um he calls me and I'm in the West Indies in, in the house and uh he tells me we're in deep shit this was three weeks before the recording of Princess in Paradise and he uh he, t- he tells me I just got a phone call from uh, Bruce Fabrin who was then uh, Bob Rock's manager. And uh, Bob Rock is not doing the album. And I said, wow, what happened? I thought we had a deal. And Herbert said, yeah, we had. But they're, they're, they're fucking us, you know? Hmm. So, uh, and that, this was horrible, you know, because we had a world tour booked. You know, we would, we stood to, uh, Losing maybe six, seven figure amounts, you know, if we didn't have an album out before the world tour. So it was really hard to hear to get that. Who did he I end up producing? We... Who did he end up? Uh, did, was that Metallica or who did he go with? Yeah, he went with Metallica. But the thing is, Herbie Herbert, he never wrote a contract with anyone. It was just a handshake. Mm. It was old school that way. And he and Bruce Farburn were really good friends. So they would go deep sea fishing in Newfoundland every year, you know? And uh, so he thought it was a safe deal. They just sealed it with a handshake. And then uh, Bruce Farburn went back on his work because Mm. they believed more in Metallica's Black Album, which, in the rear view mirror, they were right. Right. <laughs> that was an amazing. Or nobody knows. I mean, maybe uh, the new Europe album would have been something amazing with Bob Rock. That's true. Right. Yeah, you, know, you just never know. But anyway, when I was there in the West Indies, and, and just out of coincidence, I ran into Bo Hill a couple of weeks earlier at the Concrete Convention in, in L.A., uh, and they said, Key, I would love to to produce your new band, because I was actually in contact with him. I wanted him to produce the second Easy Action album, but it never turned out. And he said, Bo said, I would love to produce, produce your new band, Europe. Uh, and I said, no, sorry, we have Bob Rock. You know, and, and he goes, good for you. He's doing great stuff right now. Uh, 
And they said, well, you know this business. Here's my business card because shit happens. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and then sitting by the pool in, in the, the West Indies, I picked up the phone. I told Herbie, let me call you back in 10 minutes. Picked up the phone, called Bo. And I said, Bo, shit happened. <laughs> <laughs> so actually I got in and that's a, that was a miracle because people like Bo Hill have worked the pan out for, you know, a couple of years ahead. And I got into get into the studio and produced the Europe album in three weeks. So that's thanks a lot to Bo Hill. Otherwise it wouldn't have been an album. But anyway, what happened was recorded what we thought was the final version of the album. And then they sent four people from all the branches, all the ethnic branches over America. And they listened back to the whole album uh, by themselves in the studio, weren't even allowed to be in there. And then they came out and just took off, never spoke to us even. And then we got the message they didn't like the album. Because like a lot of uh, record company people do, they look at stats and... Uh, if you follow statistics, the biggest hit song we had then was Carrie because they had the, it was on number three on the Billboard charts. The final countdown was only number seven, I think. So they wanted more ballads and uh, sent us back into the studio. <laughs> so basically what they did was is I, uh, this is just my take on it. They delayed the release, so it could have came out in 90, but it came out in 91, correct? Yes. So we all know, and, and I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse because I talk about this on almost on every episode, but 1991 is the day of reckoning, or the year of reckoning for you know the, the 80s hard rock bands. So if this album could have come out in 90 as it was, chances are you may have been able to have another hit album. But in 1991, yeah. right, we've got a whole different year that we're dealing with. So talk about maybe what it was like putting that album out in 91. What were the challenges you were facing? I mean, yeah, you're completely right. That that We had the most challenging year to release a new album in that musical style. Because everything changed during 91, really. Now in 1990, we still would, would still have been the perfect market for bands like Europe, but it never happened. <laughs> Executives got it wrong. That, that happens a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it happens a lot. I mean, you cannot rely solely on stats because they, they lie all the time, you know. I mean, uh, even though it was the biggest chart action we had with Carrie, but I, I don't think it's the most popular song by by far, so many other songs they, they prefer to listen to at the concerts. I think you can't really prove your case just based on, on chart action. Oh, exactly. So I, the songs, there's, there's uh, I like the whole album. I think it's a great album, but I actually really love the first five songs the most. Now, are those the five uh. songs that they made you add in or no? Which which are the first five ones? Uh, Sorry for my okay, ears. I can't think. remember it. Uh, All or nothing, halfway to heaven. I'll cry for you. Talk to me. Uh, th those are that's at least four of them. Are were those the, were those the songs you had to add to the album, or some of those? 
no, I think some of them we've recorded already. I okay. mean, uh, uh, and also All or Nothing. That's co-written by Eric Martin. You know, the singer from Mr. Big. Yes. Yeah, because he's also a Bay Area dude. Uh, no, we had we recorded most of those songs. I cry for you. It's a co-write with the the Rod Stewart guy. I can't remember his name right now. Oh no, it's the guy that writes with Brian Adams. Oh, Valence. I think he, what? Uh, is it? Yeah, Valence. Jim Valence. Yeah, Valence. He, he's on uh, Cry for You. He's a co-writer there. So that's another thing that the label wanted us to do. They want us to do some co-writes. Mm. Well, there's some killer melodic rock songs. I love those songs, man. You guys, you, especially you, you've got some great guitar melodies on those. I think Cry, I'll Cry For You is one where you really have a cool uh, melody that follows the vocal line. I, I mean, I love all those songs. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, that's a nice one. I like the melodic, you know, the melodic parts of that. It's a great Great songwriting there. Awesome. But you know, one thing that always comes up is people always blame grunge and they blame Nirvana. And and sure, that's all part of it. But you know what? Sometimes I feel like you have to blame some of the fans as well. Because as a fan, I bought that album. But a lot of fans were just, let's say they were casual fans, right? They they liked whatever was popular. And as soon as Europe and Bon Jovi and all these guys weren't popular, they just moved on to whatever was on MTV. So as much as it's easy to blame a, a trend or a label or a MTV or whoever, I feel like the fans, I mean, if, if you really like a, a style of music or you like a band, you should stick by them, you know? Definitely. I never thought about it that way, but you're completely right. Definitely that. And it, and it's it's far too easy to blame like a movement or you know no style style of music around the corner. I mean, for us that was not the case though because we sold I can't remember one and a half million units of that album. Okay. And so the label wanted us to do another one. They wanted Prisoners in Paradise too, you know. And and but we didn't want to do it because we felt we couldn't add anything to the current climate if you wish sure since it, it was all full of, of grunge bands and we didn't feel at home that's why we decided to to, to take a break you know and that's what that was all it, it was going to be in the beginning a break it was a really long break <laughs> yeah so when they got back together as far as i know with with reunion albums and everything that they've done since they brought back john norum uh, why didn't they bring you back? That's a good question. I mean, first, first we talked about doing a two-guitar uh, version of the band. Oof. Yeah, and, cool. uh, and but that didn't happen. Uh, I don't know why. But the thing is, also, I had an idea out how how I wanted to. Uh, not really care about what was happening in the music around 2000, whatever it was, but to do your thing. I want to do those melodic songs again. And it didn't seem like anybody was in, into that, you know, definitely not Joey Tempest. So that's, I think that's the major reason why I'm not in the current lineup. 
Do you still talk to those guys? No, I don't really have any contact with Joey, but I meet Ian Holland. I meet all the time because mm-hmm. he works for a radio station. Are you aware of this? No. He works for rock, classic rock radio in Stockholm. No kidding. So every time, so every time I'm there, so I, I bump into him. So I, I meet him all the time. Also, he came to the he and Mick McAley came to the release party on my new album in you know, on Scaling Up in Stockholm. So if they were to make a phone call, John Norum's out, they call you. Are you back in, or what would you do? No. No. <laughs> well, it, it depends. The thing is, I would not be in if I had to play all the new albums they did since the reunion. That, that, that's a, that, would be a, that wouldn't work for me. But if we, would, if we were to do something new, or something a, a Europe with me in it, then I I would think about it. Sure, but not if I would have to play all the songs on the new reunion albums. Well, anything key that you want to tell the fans that have been following you all these years? Thank you. More news are soon to come uh, about the Soul album and and the East Action album. I mean, we're actually doing a we're doing a reissue. Of the that makes one album from 1986 okay. uh, by AOR Heaven are releasing this. I'm going to release a video with one of the tracks from that album, which is from Sweden Rock last summer. So that's going to be out next week, I think. Actually, cool, great, great talk. Good talking to you, man. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, well, keep keep me in the loop of everything that you have going forward. I'll definitely share it uh, on my Twitter page, and uh, I really appreciate it. Now it is time for the 80s Glam Metal Cast Blooper Reel. Welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you do? Oh, my voice. My voice just uh, cracked there. <laughs> uh, excuse me. <laughs> it's not, I haven't warmed up too much. It's kind of early yet. So, Key, all you gotta do your vocal exercises. <laughs> well, I'm not a good, you know, good a singer as you are, so. <laughs> wow, what a great conversation with Key. I really love his era of Europe. I hope you enjoyed this episode. There's a ton more coming, so please subscribe. Rock the night.